0: You know, I look at the news probably like you guys do, um, and I look at talking points coming from political leaders um, at the state level, at the city level, at the national level. See the headlines over and over again. Recent just despicable acts, and then the protests, and then some cities, the riots that have followed after that. And I don't know about you, but I looked at that and I went, oh great, here we go again. Here we go again. Same problem, coming up again. And I think, like for me, I look at it and I go, why why are we having such a hard time getting this right? Why is racism, regardless of race, still an issue? I look out the window And I see my kids playing and I think, you know what, this this isn't the kind of world that I want to be in. And this definitely isn't the kind of world that I want my children to grow up in. I don't want my grandchildren to grow up in a world with that kind of hatred towards another person. And you guys have heard probably all the talking points over the last couple of weeks, and you've heard all the political statements. Um, I'm not here today to echo any of those things. I want you to know my motive before we get too far into this. This morning, I'm a pastor who's talking to his church, the church that he's been called to. Whether you're here physically or you're watching online, talking to you as a pastor today, not as a political leader, not as a newscaster trying to drum up a good storyline. I'm here as a pastor who's very concerned about what he sees in culture and feels a responsibility from God to speak into this, to equip our church from Scripture to be able to understand on a deeper level why what's happening is happening in the world, and to go a step beyond that and look at what we can do as a church To not just talk about the problem, but to be part of the solution to the problem. Amen? I'm here this morning to call at least this church into focus. Now, I can't speak for every pastor that's out there over every church in this country. Though I will say this, it has been incredibly encouraging to me to see so many pastors stepping up and approaching this issue and not backing away from it. Now, several pastors are silent on this, and I think that it shouldn't be that way. When issues in culture arise, it is incumbent upon the church to step up and speak into those issues to give people the solution to the problems that they're facing in society. Amen? Amen. So, listen. I know, before I even start this, I'm going to leave a lot of blanks unfilled. Okay? Okay? Depending on your political affiliation, whether you swing to the left or you swing to the right or you're somewhere down in the middle, listen, I can promise you at some point today you are not going to be happy with what I say. I am not here today to jump up on a stump and politicize the issue. I'm here to bring biblical light and accountability to what's happening in culture and to this church to keep us focused so that we don't get distracted as a church from what God has called us to do in an incredibly emotionally unstable time in our country. Are you following me? Now, I'm not making light of what's going on either. Um, I think that what has happened to once again rip the scab off of this wound in our country was a heinous act. I think it was despicable. I don't think anyone deserves to die that way. Now, you can, again, depending on your political affiliation, you're going to want to start filling in blanks here. And I've seen recently that some people are beginning to attack the character of the man who was killed and say that he should not be made into a role model. I think that's a completely separate issue from the issue that's got everyone upset right now. It doesn't matter whether he did the things that they accuse him of or not. Okay? It doesn't matter whether he's guilty of those things or not. The legal penalty for any of those things was not death. No one deserves to die. Everyone deserves the right to get due process. Listen, including the police officers involved. Okay? So now that I just ticked off everybody in the beginning. All right? Now, I just took this off. See, wisdom brings a different light into a volatile situation. That's what I'm here to do today. Okay? Um, so listen, if at some point today you find issue with anything that I say, I'll just say this. I encourage you to go to the Word of God, to spend time in the presence of God, and discern and weigh whether or not you're responding in a biblical way or from a political bias to anything that's being said today. All right? Now, if I'm wrong scripturally, come talk to me all day long. And I'll get back up and I'll say, hey, you know what? I was wrong and I'm going to fix it right now. I have no problem with that. Um, But political bearings have no weight against biblical truth, okay? Especially in the church. Especially in the church. I think that one of the major reasons why this is still an issue in our country today. is because the church has not done its job the way that it should have, especially over the last 75 years. More recently, the last 20 years. I'll explain what I mean. We as a church have become incredibly spiritually complacent. Now, I'm not talking about us Eastgate Church. I'm talking about Capital C Church in America. Very complacent spiritually. The issue that we're seeing in the world today is a spiritual issue. Okay, Racism at its core is a spiritual issue. It's a condition of the heart of man. It is, racism is a byproduct and a fruit of a sinful heart that has not been renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual issue. There is no political solution to a spiritual problem. See, the church likes to sit back and we like to wait for someone to legislate the cure for this condition in our country. And it's not going to come from the White House. And it's not going to come from the governor's office. It's going to come from the church because only the church brings the message of Jesus. And only Jesus can change the heart of a person. Only Jesus can come in and make that heart a new creation and transform it so the old is gone and the new has come. Only the church has that message. Only the church has that truth. And we as a church have done a pathetic job of taking that message of truth and love and hope and restoration to the world that we live in. we become incredibly complacent, guys. And a lot of what you see while people make their own choices, I get that. And we can't be responsible for the choice of another person. I get that. But we carry responsibility as a church for not being aggressive with the message of hope and love and restoration and oneness that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We become complacent. We've let church become consumerized where we think a church is supposed to fit into our box and fit our needs as a Christian instead of pushing the message of the gospel and reaching the world that so desperately needs Jesus. We become consumer driven. Consumer driven. We become complacent. And our church attendance, where we think it's okay to show up every five or six weeks, and that's the new norm that pastors are having to deal with in church right now, whether we're watching online or showing up in service like we are today, that becomes the routine, and we think that's okay. When God has called us to so much more, to so much more, how can you possibly be in step with the vision and heart of a church if you're only there every five to six weeks? Can't happen. We become complacent. We become complacent. We can become complacent with the example that we set for our children and we're teaching them that sports and extracurricular activities are more important than being in the house of God and being about the business of the kingdom of God and accomplishing God's call on our lives first at any age and reaching our age group wherever we are we we have taught our kids to do that we have contributed to the problem that we're fussing about in society today because we as a church have become complacent instead of stepping up into the issue promoting the cause of jesus christ we have we have now, we complain about politicians not doing enough, and we complain about governors not doing enough, and we point the problem towards them and say they would just step up and do this. They're causing the problem. They're causing the issue. When we are more to blame for what's happening in this country right now than any politician ever would be, we are the problem that we're complaining about. Amen. We are. We are. Oh, that would have. Oh, Pastor Josh. That was, that was good truth right there. I know you might need, I, I caught you off guard because you don't have a lot of coffee this morning. because um, so We haven't been able to provide that this morning. But I'm making a point, guys. You see how easy it is to deflect responsibility when Jesus has called us to be salt and light in this world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. reads like this, you... Are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God has called us as the church to be a light to the dark world to be a light for them to look at, for, for us to be an example, to be a standard, for, some, for us to be something to behold as we operate in the anointing and in the power of God and speak truth to where there are lies and bring solutions to where there are problems. This is who God has called us to be. And, and, and again, I thank the Lord that he didn't just put leave light in there alone so that it could be misinterpreted as some kind of philosophy. He said, You're supposed to shine like lights into the darkness so that people can see your good deeds, so they can see what you're doing, so they can see how you're living your life. That will point them to our Father who is in heaven. That's who He's called us to be, is the church. And the church historically, everybody dial into me right now, the, the church historically has always been there to step into issues that arose socially and culturally in our world. You understand, when when there was a problem with children not having mothers and fathers, it was the church that established the orphanage system so those kids could have shelter and food and a place to call home. It was the church that did that. When people were sick and couldn't get health care, it was the church that established the hospital system, not the government The church established public health care first for the people, not the government. Everybody's crying and screaming and wanting the government to give us universal health care. Listen, the church, the church first gave that solution to the culture. There was a need, and we stepped into it. The church was the first one to provide education to kids who were not able to get it because of where they are or because of how poor their families were, the church invited kids to come in so that they could get a decent education. The public school system that you see was modeled after the church meeting a need in the community. Wherever there was a need, the church stepped into it. The institutions of higher learning that you see, a lot of the colleges and universities, the church established that system to meet a need in society so that people could have the opportunity to get higher learning. Most of the Ivy League schools that are so liberal right now were founded from a pastor opening up his church and he himself teaching the people that would come in so that they could have a higher education level. The church. The church has always been used to speak into issues because when we step into a cultural crisis or a cultural issue with a solution, it creates a platform for us to give people Jesus. And especially over the last 75 years, the church has readily surrendered those opportunities and those rights to the government to be able to... And I'm not anti-government, but I'm anti-us shunning our responsibility to provide solutions to where there's problems in the world. I think the church has a great opportunity to speak into this issue of racism and to not just address the problem, but to point people towards a solution. Amen? It's not the government's job to fix it. It's going to be our job to give people the only thing that will fix the problem. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now, I want to equip you today with some information because... Not that you're ignorant, but I find sometimes that people don't have a full understanding of a situation or definitions of terms or what the Bible says on a particular topic. So I want to make sure that we we cover a lot of this today because I just don't want to preach at you or challenge you. I want to equip you today because I think equipped people can take that information and use it for good. So that's what I want to do. Racism. There's a lot of different definitions of racism. This is the most common that people are going to recognize hating a person because of their race. The second definition of racism would be this believing that a race is superior to another race, i.e., the Nazis and the Jews. The Holocaust happened because one race thought they were superior to another, and that led towards hatred towards another group of people because of their race those tend to be more extreme groups I think if you were to ask most people if they hate people because of their color or their race most people would say no some people would say yes but I think most people would say no If you were to ask most people if they felt like because of the color of their skin, they were superior to another person because of the color of their skin, I think most decent people would say no to that. But if you were to ask people if they were prejudiced towards another race, they'd say no, but I think they would say no in ignorance. I think most of the people in our country... Are guilty of prejudice and they don't even realize it. Let me let me break down what prejudice means. Um, prejudice looks like this. It's a compound word, it means pre judice Judas means judgment. Pre-judgment. Prejudice is making a pre-judgment about a person without all the facts. Without having all the facts. Technically, prejudice doesn't necessarily have to be about color. Though most times it's connected to that. Making a prejudgment about a person without all the facts. Have you ever had somebody judge you without having all the information about what you were walking through? Oh, doesn't that just aggravate you? Oh, man, if you want to fire me up, judge me without knowing my story. Judge me without knowing my story. See, but behind every set of eyes in this room right now and every set of eyes that are watching online, there's a story. You've got a life history of good times and bad times, of mistakes and seasons where you got things right, good decisions, bad decisions that have formed and shaped you into the person that you are today. And it's impossible to know who you really are and why you are the way that you are right now unless we know your story. Unless you know my story. What is this? Oh, see, you kids are awesome. Y'all going to help the grown-ups out. This is a bottle. How many agrees that it's a bottle? Yes. Some of y'all are like, I ain't raising my hand for nothing right now. I'm going to play it safe. I get that. All right. This is the bottle. We all agree. This is the bottle. All right. What does the bottle say? The bottle says what? It says Dasani. This is a bottle, and you say that the label on the bottle says Dasani. So when I look at the label, I see nutritional information. <laughs> I see a cash refund in California. I see a barcode. I see a whole lot of small lettering that I can't read right now because it's too dark in here. It's The same bottle. Two different perspectives. Now, I want you to hear me. The only way for me to see this bottle the way that you see this bottle is for me to come around to your side and to see this bottle from your perspective. What we need to see in this country is more people taking time to come around to the other side of the bottle to see the issue from the perspective of the other person. Instead of trying to promote your point of view as being the right one. Because until you take the time to understand the story. To understand the struggle. To understand the persecution. Or to understand the mislabeling. You're not going to fully understand the nature of the bottle. That's how racism works. See, I'm a white guy. Shocker, right? Right? My name is Josh Pate, Pastor Josh Pate. That's one of the whitest white names you can get. Um, Pastor Josh Pate, if I'm driving down the road and I get pulled over by a police officer, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, dang it, I got pulled over. I'm thinking, I hope I don't get a ticket. Maybe I'll just get a warning, you know, maybe... Maybe I can come up with a convincing, not lie, but a good reason why this cop will just let me go and give me a warning, you know? But if you're a black person and you see this in your rearview mirror, you're thinking something completely different, more than likely. You're not thinking, I hope I can get out of this ticket. For most people of color, when they see this in their rearview mirror, they're thinking, is today going to be the day? They're not thinking, I hope I can talk this cop out of a ticket. They're thinking, which kind of cop am I going to get? Am I going to get the police officer that's going to be nice and have a good heart, or am I going to get one of those others? They're thinking, is today going to be the day where I become one of those headlines that I've seen in the past? And you don't understand that if you don't take time to come around the bottle to the other side to understand what somebody's going through or what they've been through. Because you haven't experienced it yourself. See, it's the height of ignorance to judge a situation when you don't have all the information or the facts about the situation. To take time, we need to take time to make sure that we go around to the other side to understand exactly what's going on because only when we see it from another perspective do we finally understand the situation. There's a spiritual principle to that that we're going to get to in just a little bit. I'll give you some examples of prejudice in this situation today. You guys love me, right? Yeah. Everybody say everybody say it is, and if you're at home online, just put a little heart emoji in the comments so we know. We love you, Pastor Josh. We love you, Pastor Josh. Um, an example of prejudice is this, that you look at the riots that are happening right now and the protests that are happening right now, and you say, in a blanket statement, well, what in the world are all those protesters trying to accomplish? They're out there raising a bunch of noise, and then they're burning down the city where they're protesting. That's a prejudicial statement. And it's not so much about color, because there's all kinds of races out protesting. you got African Americans, you've got white people, you've got Hispanic people, you've got all kinds of races out there protesting. It's an ignorant statement, because there are two groups of people in that protest. There are people that are peacefully protesting and letting their voice be heard. And then there's a secondary group that's been showing up at the end of those protests and causing the trouble. Now, that secondary group is showing up to cause the trouble, and they're, they're charged from a political motivation. They want to cause trouble, to throw shade in the wrong direction. That, that's what they're doing, and they're causing peaceful protesters to be seen in a wrong in, a, in in an incorrect light it's prejudicial to make a blanket statement about protesters not knowing all the information about the situation see what I mean not necessarily a racial thing but it's a statement of ignorance it's also a statement of ignorance to say that all police officers are wrong that all police officers are evil that is is a prejudicial statement towards men and women who put on a uniform to protect and to serve you and I who would gladly step between us and a bullet right now if it was necessary to make sure that we go home to our family at the cost of them not being able to go home to theirs. You have a very small group of evil, misdirected people that need to be held accountable. And I'll say it again, they need to be held accountable for what they're doing. They need to throw the book They need to throw the whole library at people that would abuse power and authority that way. But that does not mean that you can throw a blanket statement at all police officers. That's a prejudicial statement. You see how that works? You have to have all the information. You have to go to the other side of the bottle to make sure that you're seeing things correctly. Now, we're in the South, and in the South, racism has a completely different tone than in most other parts of the country because the majority of the slave ownership happened here in the South. The majority of the atrocity of slavery happened here in the South. Now, it wasn't just here. It was widespread in the country, but most of it happened here. You you, You do realize that we're only, most people don't realize this, we're only like three going into four generations removed from a human being owning another human being in this country. That's not very long. You realize that we are, what, uh, 60, so 40, 60 to 70 years removed from the civil rights movement? Right in there, the beginning to the culmination of it? Probably in some of your lifetimes, you can look back and say, I remember when schools were integrated. I remember when desegregation happened. it, It wasn't that long ago in our country that women couldn't vote. It's crazy. But it's not that far in the past, you see, that there were some incredibly corrupt practices in play in our country. And especially in the South... We need to be sensitive to that. We need to come to the other side of the bottle and understand that while you might be looking at someone that's your age at work talking about the atrocities that happened in the not-so-distant past, you're talking to someone who felt the pain and heard the stories from their parents and their grandparents, and it's a very real reality to them. And they still are looking at a lot of that hatred still in existence in our country today. It's a very real thing. Um, And we need to understand that. It's not just a black, white thing. Racism is a very real thing. Um, It exists in all cultures. There's not one culture or one color that has not had a racist history or a racist act somewhere along the line. Racism exists. I talked to um, this lady who is, um, uh, she's she's of of, uh, Indian culture, and she was talking about the the oppression and the, the pressure and the persecution that she personally experienced from her own race because she decided to marry a person of a different color to the point where she was, it was threatened that she would be disowned and was by some of her family. You know, so it's something evil that exists. It's systemic through all the races. But in the South, we've got to be careful that we don't walk around in ignorance to an issue that's very real. Uh, the Bible speaks to diversity. The Bible speaks to people of different races doing incredibly amazing things for the kingdom of God. God created diversity. Our fear, selfishness, and hatred created racism. God created diversity. Our fear, selfishness, and hatred created racism. In the South, we tend to think that everybody in the Bible was white. That Colonel Sanders was leading the way, with his white suit on, with a bunch of white people, you know, it, that, that's not how it happened. Did you know that the majority of the people in the Bible were not white? Did you know that the vast majority of the people mentioned in the Bible are not white? Some people don't consider that. God created diversity. I want to walk you through some things. Did you know that when Peter stuck his head out that window in the book of Acts and preached what people call the first Pentecostal message after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that all of the people in that upper room with him were not white? See, I don't don't know whether to say amen, yes, nod your head, or y'all looking for the exit just in case things get crazy around here. Can you say that in the south? Can you say that in the Bible Belt that not everybody in that upper room was white? The Bible says that people from all nations were gathered outside of that window to hear the message of hope that Peter was preaching. Genesis chapter 6, verse 10, gives the... One account of Noah, and it says, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Awesome names. Awesome names. Anybody here named Ham? If you're online named Ham, drop a comment in there so we know. Why is that important, Pastor Josh? Well, what did God do in the time of Noah? He sent a flood, right? He destroyed how much of the world? All of it. He destroyed the world, flooded it. Every living creature that wasn't on the ark with Noah, dead. Every person that was not on the ark with Noah, dead. That's what the Bible says. Noah had three sons. That means these three sons and their wives, okay, were going to be the ones to have the task of repopulating the earth. So every one of us in this room, biblically, Comes from this family. Now, you can't get any more southern than that. You just can't. You just can't. We all come from the same family. Pastor Josh, why? You know what? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's probably on my list of things to talk to God about right there. But we're, we're all, in one way or another, distantly. I'll say that to make us feel better. Very distantly related to this family, Noah. Had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Listen, you know what Ham means? And it's not just something you put between two pieces of bread when you're making a sandwich. Ham, literal translation, is hot black. Ham was a hot black man. Sure enough, that's what the Bible says. It was not uncommon for people to be named because of very distinct um, aspects of who they were—their color or facial figure, you know, you know things like that—he um, was named Ham because he was black. Japheth means. You ready for this? No. Means fair-skinned. Fair-skinned. Out of Noah comes a person of color and a person who's fair-skinned. And from that lineage, we have what we have today. God chose to repopulate the earth with a person of color, not just a white person. I think that's incredibly important. Because God created diversity. We created racism. Acts 13, verse 1. I, I, eventually, I'm going to get uh, a white supremacist somewhere upset with this. And I just pray that God will just change your heart. Acts 13, 1. It says, Now in the church at Antioch. Where was the church at? Antioch. Antioch. There were prophets and teachers. All right. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So you've got Barnabas and Saul. Saul became Paul later, the guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament. Okay? But you've got two guys there that were the original five elders. They're called teachers or prophets here in the Bible. Simeon, called Niger. Here again, you see someone whose name is associated with a feature about themselves. He was a black person. He was dark-skinned. And he was an elder in the church of Antioch. And consequently, where he's from, Niger, um, in Africa, predominantly dark-colored people at that time. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is a, another city in North Africa at that time predominantly dark colored people there and you see this man listed as elders it's no coincidence that the Bible doesn't just list them but it says where they're from God drops little nuggets in the Bible along the way to help us in times like this to understand that the Bible just isn't full of a bunch of white people doing awesome things for God God uses all races all colors all people To accomplish his will. Okay. Racism is pure evil. It's pure evil. Romans 12.9 says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love must be sincere. That means love cannot be hypocritical. It is hypocritical of me to love Pastor Brad but to hate Dave Varney. The love of God has to be consistent across the board, or it's hypocritical. Love has to be sincere. has to be sincere. Luke, actually, racism is pure pride, arrogance, and self-righteousness. Racism is pure pride, arrogance, and self-righteousness. Luke 18, 11. Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax. Anytime we say, God, I thank you, I'm not like another person, that's putting us in a place to be in some deep trouble with God, particularly with race. I'm equipping you now biblically to know how to speak against racism should it come up. Racism violates the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of how many nations? All. All nations. baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word nation comes from a root word called ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnicity. So ethnicity could also be correctly put into this passage of Scripture. Go and make disciples of all ethnicities or all nations. You can't be racist and accomplish the Great Commission. Racism violates the Great Commandment. John 13, 34, a new command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so must you love one another. Racism questions God's creation. Acts 17, 26 from one man, some translations say from one blood, he made all nations. And there's that word nations again, ethnicities. Who created all ethnicities? God. The question, that's to question God's creation. Racism questions God's plan. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God from every tribe and language and people from every and there's that word nation again every nation every ethnicity God's plan of salvation racism denies the very heart of God John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life whoever believes in him doesn't matter the color listen racism has no part in god's plan racism has no part in god's church and we've got a choice as a church we got a choice as christians we got a choice as society we can either pour water or gas on the fire of racism we can either pour water or gas on the fire of racism What we do matters. What we do matters. Now listen, I do not think that issues need to be swept under the rug. Getting ready to close here. I don't think that issues should be swept under the rug at all. I think they should be exposed. I think they should be brought to light and they should be talked about. Because it's only in conversation and working the problem that you can find a solution for it. Or come up with an actual plan that moves for or towards a, a solution. But just repetitively talking about the problem accomplishes absolutely nothing. Everybody knows there's a problem with racism. At least they should by now. Everybody should know. But just talking about the problem, just talking about the issue without without stepping into the solution only pours gas onto the fire that is the problem of racism that's all it does when we post I love you guys I love you guys online listen when we continually post on social media about the issue and the problem over and 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 over again listen i'm all for exposing it i'm all for talking about it i'm all for posting about it but sooner or later we have got to insert a solution to that problem, and his name is Jesus. And as a church, we've got to be careful that we don't become so cause-oriented and so politically driven in this topic that we lose sight of the solution. If I can look at your feeds and social media and see political and cultural statements over and over and over again and not see one pointing people towards Jesus, I got news for you. You are part of the problem because you're not pointing people to the solution. His name is Jesus. We cannot be politically driven as a church. Now listen, I know I'm probably going to get emails on that, and I'm cool with that because what I just said was biblically true. We as a church, we, we speak into political issues, but we cannot be politically driven into those issues. We have to be spiritually minded and spiritually focused. But it starts by taking time to go to the other side of the bottle and to make sure that we understand where someone is coming from. Daryl Davis, if I said his name, how many of you know who he is? Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is a professional musician, doesn't have any claim to fame, pretty sure he loves Jesus. Daryl Davis, the guy who had a moment in his life, in his adult life, where someone made a racial statement toward him, and he said, how can someone hate me that doesn't even know me? And it bothered him. This is what Daryl did. Instead of instead of staying upset and staying mad, listen, I'm not denying an emotional response to this situation because I think emotions are important because they help us process through things. You can't intellectually navigate your way through hurt. That has to be initiated on an emotional level As God begins to heal, but we can't stay at an emotional level, though. Does that make sense? Sooner or later, we've got to allow ourselves to move past that. So he's processing this stuff, and he chose not to stay angry or mad. He said, I'm going to do something that I've never seen somebody do. Instead of hating these people, I'm going to take time, go to the other side of the bottle... And I want to know why people like this person think the way that they think and act the way that they act and do what they do. Well, Daryl Davis made an appointment. Somehow he got an appointment. Are you ready for this? With the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan as an African American. He got a meeting with this guy. Talked him into coming to a hotel room. But he did it. He did it, he did it like a blind date. Like the, the Klansman didn't know he was showing up to be interviewed by a black man. So he, the Klansman showed up, and he saw Daryl there. And he almost turned around and left, but Daryl talked him into staying. Daryl started a conversation with this man. And the Klansman was very clear. I don't like you because of your color. I think my race is superior to yours. There's nothing you're ever going to say or do to convince me otherwise. That's where I stand. Daryl said, okay, let's keep talking. And it wasn't long before this guy, Daryl, had the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan coming to his house to have breakfast. He would show up with his bodyguards. And sit down. Now get this. The grand wizard of the clan. Sitting down at the table of a person of color. And eating at that man's table. And having conversation. Daryl said. I would listen to what he would have to say. And then. I would give my point of view. And eventually I noticed. That he started listening to me. And instead of presenting sides, we were having a conversation. Daryl would go to clan rallies. And he would watch the rallies take place under the protection of that grand wizard. And he would sit on the front row at their rallies and listen to the speeches. I got three pictures I want to show you right now. This is Daryl having conversations with the clan. See, it was taking time to go to the other side of the bottle. That picture right there is the one that I want to talk about. Because eventually, eventually, over years of conversation, the grand wizard of the clan had a change of heart. And he left the clan, and he left the poison of racism behind. God did something in his heart. Because Daryl took the time to go to the other side of the bottle to understand where he was coming from. Daryl goes around the country now speaking against racism. And he always, at the end of his talks, pulls out this robe that used to belong to the Grand Wizard. But now Daryl carries it around as a trophy to show that if you take the time... To talk to someone and understand where they're coming from, that conversation can eventually lead to change. And the same's true today. What Daryl did, what I'm challenging us to do initially as a church, instead of reacting to what we see, is to take time and make sure we understand what's happening. This is the same thing that God did for us. When we fell into sin we fell into something that God had no point of reference for. When we fell into temptation we fell into something that God at that time couldn't relate to because he's a holy God can't be tempted by sin. He doesn't understand what it's like to be tempted. He didn't understand what it was like to deal with the issues that we deal with as humans in this flesh. So God took the time to go to the other side of the bottle and the eternal God covered himself in flesh because it wasn't enough for him to just solve the problem of our sin. He cared enough about us to understand why we were going through what we were going through, what it was like to be us, what it was like to be tempted, what it was like to live in this stuff called flesh. It wasn't enough for him just to be our redeemer. He had to be our kinsman redeemer so that he couldn't just be sympathetic to what was going on, but so through his understanding and paying the price to walk in our shoes, he could be empathetic because he knew exactly what it was like to be you and to be me. To experience the things that we experience, and He's calling us to do the same thing as the church—not to be prejudicial in our statements or in our judgment, not to be racist in our responses, not to be quick to judge, but to shut our God-blessed mouths and kill the idol of our own personal opinions and put the Bible in center focus in our lives and say, "How does God want me to respond biblically to this situation? Not politically, not out of my." My own preference, not out of my own opinion or my own perspective, based on my life up until now, but what would God have me do? And God is a God that set the example by paying the price to understand before He stepped into the situation. Got to understand, and it's not enough just to understand. We got to put it to action. Okay, as a church, we're called to love. And I think, I think one thing, the church is too silent, Christians are too silent, so we need to speak up. Not just about what we're seeing happening now in our country, but against all injustice. Listen, it's an incredible injustice that any baby is killed before it has a right to, abortion it is a horrible injustice on a child that can't speak for itself. Crazy. It's an injustice for a person of color. If we were to walk into the bank at the same time, having the same credit score, bringing the same down payment in to that same bank to get the same loan for the same amount, it's an injustice that a person of color that meets those qualifications will get denied that loan while I get approved for it because they are judged because of a stereotype of their race. It's wrong. People should be treated as individuals. It's wrong. Women should not make less than a man for doing the same job that a man does. It's wrong. It's injustice on every level. But I think there's some things that we should do as a church. Um, Take time to have conversation is one. Take time to be in the presence of God to make sure that our heart is right is two. To speak up. And I'm not saying don't speak up on social media. But if you're going to speak up on social media, point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. He's the solution. He's the solution. Eventually, we got to land on that ground or we're not accomplishing anything. Another thing we can do is, listen, we can put boots on the ground. And we can actually get out and let our voice be heard in a practical way, too. How many of you have ever heard of a, an organization called One Race. One Race. One race, Atlanta. June 19th, they're going to host a march on Atlanta. That sounds a lot more aggressive than it's going to be. But what it's going to be is this, is that pastors and believers are going to get together to make a statement against racism. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to say racism is ugly, that it's disgusting, but we're going to recognize that it's a byproduct of sin. And we're going to pray for our country. We're going to pray for our city. We're going to worship the Lord. And we're going to bring a spiritual solution into a cultural and political issue. Pastor Josh, are you going to be there for that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be there for that. And I wanted to invite all of Eastgate Church or any of you watching online, if you can be there for this, be there for this. It's going to be 9 o'clock in the morning. On June 19th, ought to be a pretty safe time to get there. Now, if things get crazy and it's not safe to gather, then then we just won't go. But if things are safe, we're going to go. We're going to let our voice be heard. More importantly, we're going to lift up the name of Jesus in the midst of an issue and put the focus on Him as a solution. And I think that's incredibly important. What do you guys think? Amen? It's incredibly important. Now, if that's not your thing, Then that's not your thing. But do your thing and speak out against this. The issue is sin. The answer is Jesus. we got to make sure, though, that we stay focused on that and don't get caught up in all the noise and stop listening to his voice as a church and as a believer. Amen? Stand with me, if you will, this morning. Thank you guys for hanging with me. An incredibly complex topic to speak about this morning. You guys did great.